Well, as Neil's prayed, we're praying for ongoing wisdom, and this is a subject we're thinking about tonight. Wisdom rejects laziness. So I'd like to begin by putting a picture on the screen, and we're going to have a bit of a a word association game. Off we go. What sort of things come to mind when you see an image of Mr. Lazy? Sleepiness, yeah? Eating too much. It's been a good afternoon in front of the golf, hasn't it, John? <laughs> They're very honest. There we go. Procrastination, yeah. Let's have a couple more. Someone else will do it. Good snoring. Okay, lots of different things you think of. Here's an interesting one, though. As you think of Mr. Lazy, as you think of laziness, I wonder if you would ever, it would ever come to your mind to consider spiritual laziness. Because that's actually what we're going to talk about tonight. Because I suspect most of us are not that bad at getting up in the morning. Um, maybe we struggle a little bit with mornings. But physical laziness, though it may be a problem for some, isn't probably a problem for most. But I'm convinced that spiritual laziness is an issue for all of us. And so I want to speak specifically into that issue. It may be something we've never considered much before. Perhaps certainly never heard a sermon on. Uh, but I think this passage in, in Proverbs 6 really helps us to consider uh, particularly spiritual laziness. So come to the passage, uh, verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Uh, This call to go to the ant, the call to the sluggard to go to the ant, is an inference really, inferring that the sluggard is unwise. Go to the ant to be wise, because you sluggard are unwise. So we have here a contrast between a sluggard and an ant. It's rather bizarre. Now here's a bit of work for you to do on your own or just with someone next to you, just for two minutes. Sluggard is a rather bizarre word, but you see the sluggard in Proverbs quite a bit. I'd love you just in pairs or on your own, just to look up those three references. How would you describe the sluggard? Just give you a couple of minutes to look up those references, just so you can do a little bit of work yourself. Uh, I'll just repeat, there's a few jokes from the front here that uh, we can't be bothered to look up the verses. Well, there we go. Perfect illustration of sluggardness. But I'm going to ask you to be bothered, please. (laughs) How is the sluggard described in Proverbs? Uh, Just just a little aside, if you you come to the Bible and you see a description like this when you're reading uh, sluggard, and you go, what's a sluggard? I kind of know, but what is a sluggard? Get get a Bible concordance. They're at the back of a lot of Bibles. You can get them online. Just look up a number of references. Oh, I kind of build a picture now of what a sluggard is. Um, but what kind of a picture is built just with these three references? There are many in Proverbs. I just chose these three because they kind of work together in contrast. What's the sort of picture that is painted of the sluggard? Irritating. Irritating. Yeah, no, sense. no sense. Good. Ignorant of the future. Ignorant of the future. I don't really think ahead. Unproductive. Unproductive. Lazy and neglectful. Neglectful, you see. Um, lacks ru- uh, leads to ruin, lacks judgment. It's a sort of picture here. And so what the writer is doing is saying, look at the ant to contrast the ant with the sluggard. The ant is wise. We're going to see why in a minute. The sluggard is not wise. And the idea is that we're meant to look into our own heart and go, well, am I an ant? Am I a sluggard? It's meant to be there as a sort of device to convict us. Uh, a number of times in this little series, I've asked us the question. I ask myself the same questions I prepare each week. Um, am I wise or am I unwise? What I'd love you to do, just in the quietness of your own heart, think of these two continuums, one to ten. Where would you mark yourself on the continuum of spiritual appetite? One being really not that spiritually hungry at all, not bothered. Ten, can't get enough of God. 
And where would you rank yourself on the continuum of spiritual discipline? Just think about that for yourself. Because how you answer those questions would be quite revealing of where you're do- how you're doing spiritually. It's challenging, isn't it? What are some of the things that fuel spiritual appetites? Be lovely to hear from people, uh, people's experience in here. Just shout out a few things that might, might fuel a person's spiritual appetite. That's a hunger to know God and grow in Him. What are things that fuel you? The Bible, great. God's Word, does that fuel your appetite for Him? Testimonies, really powerful, aren't they? And you hear a testimony, it fuels your appetite because you want more of God's, because you see God moving in power in a person's life. Challenges, yeah, when when you're challenged by the example of another person, challenged by the Word of God, it fuels that appetite. Yeah, brilliant. We all get influenced by different things. Being in the world that God created, it fuels my appetite for Him, because I remember my Creator. There's different things that fuel our appetite. You see, we know that there are things that fuel our appetite, and we could all answer that question. The question is then, what do I do about that? I know that there are things that help me to be more spiritually hungry, but do I feed myself with these things? Uh, what are some of the things that sort of feed our spiritual discipline? The ability to turn that appetite into action. Just being still with God, particularly in the busyness of our world, just so much, so much noise, just stopping. That is a discipline in itself. Ever before even opening the Word of God and listening to God's voice. Being still. What else fuels your spiritual discipline? Prayer? Yeah. Why, why Matt? Can you just explain that? The more I speak to God, the more I, I grow to know that this is what He longs for me. He wants me to talk to Him. Small groups. Yeah, home groups, life groups, little prayer groups, breakfasts. Again, the point here is you and I know that there are certain things that fuel spiritual discipline. But the question is, well, am I spiritually disciplined? It's quite revealing, isn't it? But the point that this passage is going to make to us is that you and I cannot be wise and be spiritually lazy. You can't be spiritually lazy and be wise. It doesn't work. The sluggard is lazy. It's a picture in a sense of spiritual laziness. And the, the sluggard can never be wise. The ant here is meant to be a picture of spiritual hard work. And the ant is described as wise. Notice how this goes on, verse 7. The ant has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Isn't that a picture of both appetite and discipline? The ant knows what it wants, and so it goes about getting it. And if you and I want to move on that continuum, if if we would say, if we're honest with ourselves, well, my spiritual appetite or my spiritual discipline is like one, two, three, four, five even, we'd be wise to say, Lord, I need you to change my appetite for you because I want to be six, seven, eight, nine, ten. If we can be honest and say, well, my spiritual discipline is one, two, three, four, I need to pray, Lord, I want you to grow my heart that I become more spiritually disciplined. Because the two fuel each other. The more disciplined I become, the greater my appetite. Because God speaks into my life. He changes my heart. Um, there's an older man called Charles Bridges. One or two of you might have read books by him. He's most famed for books on the subject of holiness. Um, I read this of his this week, which really arrested my heart. He said, listen, if you want proof of the extent of the fall of mankind... Consider what God sends to people made in his image in order to teach them. And he's referring to the ant. 
God and his providence can take a little ant. I'll probably step on one as I walk home tonight. That little creature is held up in the book of Proverbs to be an example to us in this area. How far have I fallen? My spiritual appetite is not what I want it to be. My spiritual discipline is not what I want it to be. And yet, a tiny little ant in God's creation can teach me to grow in both of these areas. But contrast that with the sluggard, verse 9. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. It's this idea of carelessness, pretending it doesn't really matter. I can just go about my Christian life and if I'm not spiritually disciplined, if I don't have a spiritual appetite, it'll be alright. I'll just grow because I'll kind of rock up to church each week. But it doesn't really matter. That's this idea of a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. But what happens to a person who is spiritually careless? Poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. And I think poverty here about spiritual poverty. Poverty can be all sorts of things, but you and I will be spiritually impoverished if we lack spiritual appetite and we lack spiritual discipline. It's a real challenge, isn't it? So here are four little areas to consider, four little pictures, which I hope as you sort of consider them, you can relate them back to those two continuums, my spiritual appetite and my spiritual discipline. Just let these four pictures kind of speak into your own life. Here's the first one. Think about um, when you're building a house. We looked a bit at this uh, last week with the, the wise and the foolish builders. You know, if you know anything about building, you have to build foundations in order to build a building. So the question is, how are your spiritual foundations? If I am spiritually lazy, I will build very weak spiritual foundations. And I can't build on weak foundations. So are you a person who is growing in your knowledge of God? So I understand him better. Am I putting roots down and building firm foundations in different areas of my life so I can understand how the Christian life impacts how the gospel impacts all of my life. Thinking about what are the real foundations. I've, I've got questions. I need to find answers to those. I've got areas of my life where I know I'm vulnerable. I need help. Identifying what are those areas you need to do to place really strong foundations. And we'll all be different. But we're in this together. And we need to be disciplined in saying, look, these are some foundations that I see in other people that I don't seem to have in my life. And I need them. Maybe I need to go and have a chat with that person. Learn from them. It's particularly something that those of us who are younger can do as we relate to those who are older, learning from the experience of those who've walked the Christian life longer than we have, putting down foundations. Because if I have weak foundations, it's because I'm spiritually lazy. And we need to pray against that. That's your first picture. Here's the second one. Think of an anchor. What does an anchor do? An anchor holds a ship secure, particularly in a storm. You don't put an anchor down when the the sea is very calm. But as soon as the sea gets rough, you place an anchor down. Well, anchors do many things in a spiritual sense. But one of the greatest things that an anchor does in a spiritual sense is anchors you for times of trial and suffering. What happens if I don't have an anchor and I face difficulties in my life? See, am I, am I a fair-weather Christian? When everything's going okay, I'm all right. But as soon as trials and temptations come, if I'm honest, I don't really know what I believe. I'm not really even that convicted of it. The people who are robust in periods of, of suffering and hardship are people who've got spiritual anchors, who hold them secure. Just give you an example. Just flick to Ephesians chapter 4. 
These will be familiar words, I'm sure. We looked at them in our series on Ephesians not too long ago. But Paul takes this idea of an anchor. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. It's talking about the work of a pastor teacher in preparing the saints for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Here's the bit. So we all reach unity in the face and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. The desire of God is that you and I grow in Christian maturity. But why? Look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the wind and the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Friends, you and I need spiritual anchors to hold us secure when we face difficulties. And one of the best things we can do if we're not in a situation in life which is particularly tough at the moment is invest this time now in putting down spiritual anchors because we'll need it in times of trial. Think of Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils. It's a picture really of the shallow soil, the rocky soil. What happens, it springs up quickly, but as soon as the sun comes, as soon as the heat is upon it, what does it do? It withers. Why? Because it has no root. Have we put roots down? Have we got spiritual anchors that will hold us secure? Think of um, Hebrews, the language of the writer of Hebrews, this idea of drifting. A ship will drift unless it's anchored. And you and I in our spiritual walk will drift unless we're anchored. Anchored in the word of God. Anchored in dependence upon the spirit of God. Anchored in a church family. So spiritual foundations, spiritual anchors. Think of a map. What does a map do? It gives you direction. What happens in life if I have no direction? The Apostle Paul talks about you and I running in a race. One of the most significant moments in a race is knowing where the finish line is. If I don't know where the finish line is, I don't know where I'm running. Seems almost comical, but think of your Christian life. When you wake up in the morning, who are you running for? Where are you running to? What's the purpose of your day today? Because if it's aimless, I'm just going to be running around in circles. I'm not running somewhere. Think of the analogy in the Bible of of the Lord Jesus Christ being my master and I serve him. I'm never going to be obedient to my master if I don't have an appetite to grow to know him better. I'm never going to have that spiritual discipline to fight the trials in my life unless I love the one who is calling me to follow him. Think of the first week in the book of Proverbs. We had the flip chart here. We identified all the different areas of our life where we need wisdom. The point was, you and I make choices all the time. Will I go this way or this way? Well, I need a map, don't I? Am I going to go my way or am I going to go God's way? What is God's way? Again, another spiritual discipline. And here's the last one. Time. Uh, Leslie helpfully pointed this out earlier. Time is not just a commodity to be used up. As Christians, we need to invest the time that we have. How do we spend the time that God gives us? We never think we've got enough of it. But God, in his wisdom, has given us all the time in the day that he needs to give us to be faithful to him and accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. But the question is, how do I use my time? How do I invest my time? Just come to Proverbs chapter 6 again. Just jump forward to verse 20. Let's try and um, anchor some of this, to use that analogy of before. Verse 20, my son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Here we have it again, the father, the mother, the parental influence, our heavenly generation. But how does verse 21 tell us that we keep 
our heavenly father's commands and his teaching close to us verse 21 we're to bind them on our heart we're to fasten them around our neck it's a picture isn't it of taking the word of God taking the wisdom of God and holding it close to us not an arm's length when I, I draw upon it when my life's a mess but treasuring it bringing it into my heart so am I drinking of the wisdom of God regularly is it becoming part of who I am verse 22 when you walk they that's the commands the teaching of God will guide you when you sleep they will watch over you when you awake they will speak to you uh, you take the, the, the illustration Leslie just picked up of uh, a quiet time a sort of a phrase that's used to describe a time of just being slow before God often the first thing we do in a day and I'd encourage it to be the first thing we do in a day see the problem with that phrase quiet time is that there's almost a danger that I, I see it as a time a time at the beginning of the day where I just do my Bible reading my Bible in the year which is a great thing to do or the Bible app on my phone or read a passage but it's that time and then almost a sense of right that's done tick box that's what us Christians do we have our quiet time now the rest of the day I just get on with my day but what's the illustration here saying it says when the word of God is bound around fastened around my neck is bound in my heart when I walk it will guide me when I sleep it will watch over me when I awake it will speak to me it's the idea that this time at the beginning of the day however much of it we are able to give that anchors us in who God is that will then trickle in, filter into the rest of the day because we face a temptation and we remember something we read in the morning. We face a challenge. We're anchored by a truth where God has encouraged us. So if you have a quiet time, whatever sort that works for you, first thing in the morning, for instance, if that doesn't shape at different points in your day, your day, you have to ask questions, well, why do I have this quiet time? Of course, we, we get busy, we forget things. I get that, we're human. But the reality is... The quiet time is meant to shape the rest of the time in our week. And if it's not, perhaps there's a danger that we're just mechanically doing this thing because it's what we do as Christians. Spiritual discipline is saying, Lord, what it is you've shown me today, I want it to make an impact on my life. And I'm sure you'd have a testimony of times where you've worked through a systematic Bible reading notes. Have you ever had this experience where you've read a note on a particular date and it's been really relevant for a situation that day? Have you had that? That's not a coincidence. That's God in his wisdom speaking to you. And all the days where we've rushed into the day and not had that time, we've probably missed what God wanted for us that day. So I'd really encourage us. See, if I have that time with God at the beginning of the day, it will help build my foundations. It will help anchor me for when trials come. It will give me that map, that spiritual direction with all the choices I have to make in the day. It will remind me that the time I have through the day is God's time. He's given me enough of it to achieve what he wants me to achieve. So how am I investing my time, not just spending it? The problem is we'll face darkness each day, we'll face trials. But verse 23 is wonderful, isn't it? This command, the teaching of God, the wisdom of God, this teaching, how's it described? It's described as a light. This correction and instruction are the way to life. There we have it again. We've had it every single time we've looked at the book of Proverbs. God's wisdom is a matter of life and death. Which means, just to to look at what we're looking at this evening, uh, spiritual appetite and spiritual discipline is a matter of life and death. If I have no spiritual appetite and no spiritual discipline, 
I'm not going to be growing spiritually. I can't. And that's why spiritual laziness is actually far more serious than worldly laziness. It's lying in bed endlessly and watching too much TV and eating too much food as unhelpful as these things perhaps could be at times. Spiritual laziness is actually perhaps our biggest struggle. But as we come to the Lord's table, I want us to hear, and I hope there is a sense of heaviness in some sense of what we've looked at, where we feel that real conviction, you know what, I, I lack spiritual appetite, I lack spiritual discipline. And if I'm honest with myself, so often therefore I am a fool, I am a sluggard spiritually. But here's the thing to lift our hearts tonight as we come to the Lord's table together. I have a wise saviour, don't I? And you have a wise saviour. And being in Christ, being united to Christ is so, so important. And so when on the scale of spiritual appetite you're a one, two, three, on the scale of spiritual discipline you're a one, two, three, here's an encouragement for you if you're feeling a bit discouraged right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 to 31. Paul writes, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So when you're feeling a little bit vulnerable, because the word of God kind of penetrates your heart and you go, I lack spiritual hunger, I lack spiritual discipline. The wonderful thing is you join me when I consider this amazing truth that when God looks at me, he doesn't see a fool. He doesn't see a sluggard. He doesn't see someone who is spiritually lazy. What he sees is Christ. Isn't that an encouragement? He sees Christ and that is what it means to be in Christ. And so as we turn to the Lord's table, it will be a chance for us to say sorry for our spiritual laziness. Not just spiritual laziness that impacts us, but our spiritual laziness that impacts each other because we have a responsibility to help each other grow. So let's be rightly convicted of our sluggardness in a spiritual sense. But more than that, let's then come and celebrate what Christ has done. His body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us. And when our Father now looks at us, he doesn't see our failures, he doesn't see our spiritual apathy, he sees Christ. He sees a son or daughter in whom he delights and whom he loves. And he wraps an arm around us and says, let me lead you this week because I love you. That's a captivating vision for the week ahead, isn't it? So let's have a moment of quiet reflection as Neil comes up to lead us. And we share in the bread and the wine together.